Hey, everybody. It is Friday, October 13th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. And Jill, I've also taken a deep dive on Friday the 13th. Uh, this is the second one of 2023, and it's known, literally, there are some people who have a fear of the number 13 or fear of Friday the 13th. Is that something you care about in your world? Actually, I don't want to get into it, but a couple of not great things have happened to me on Friday the 13th, <laughs> and so Interesting. I'm not the biggest fan of a Friday the 13th. I don't have a problem with the number 13, Okay, and I love a good Friday, but yeah. <laughs> together, I'm not, I don't feel it. <laughs> together, not so much. So we've had two this year. There's one in January, uh, obviously today. The next one after today is next September. There'll be two next year, and there'll be one in 2025. Just funky how the calendar works out. Was digging into this. It's interesting. You can blame Norse mythology for the unlucky nature of the number 13. Uh, there's a Norse god named uh, Loki, where it became inauspicious. Uh, also, back in the in the Bible days, Judas was considered to be the 13th guest uh, to the Last Supper. So that's part of the route for 13 being unlucky. I mean, literally, if you pass, um, if you go on airplanes, there is not a 13th row. In many buildings, there's not a 13th floor. They just skip a number. That's in Western culture, though. In Chinese culture, it's an auspicious number. Uh, Also, in Jewish culture, it's when you become a a bar mitzvah traditionally. So 13 is not considered unlucky. So it's very interesting how different cultures handle it. When uh, Alex and I did a safari a couple of years ago as part of our honeymoon, uh, someone was telling us at the place we were at in Africa that the uh, 13th lodge, lodge number 13, is always taken up by Chinese tourists because of how lucky it's considered in that culture. It's funny, though, because I lived on the 14th floor, but there was no 13th floor. So I used to be Mm. like, who do they think they're kidding here? I mean, and 14, (laughs) that's my birthday. So 14 is kind of like my number. So I lived the facade, Mosh. And you live to tell this tale here today, <laughs> Okay, let's get to the headlines here. We'll start with the latest in the Middle East. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visits survivors of the Hamas massacre. His message to Israel and their message to him on the ground in Gaza. The humanitarian crisis gets worse. On to the politics of it all. What role did Iran have? And if not Iran, then who planned this attack? Plus, Hamas calls for a day of resistance. What exactly does that mean for us here in America? Some bad news if you were looking for any new original content to watch. Talks have broken down between SAG-AFTRA and the studios. French police investigating the possible poisoning of a Russian journalist who criticized the Ukraine war. And meet George Jetson. Mosh, we could all be flying around in Jetson mobiles soon. His boy, Elroy. <laughs> Plus, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. What we are watching, reading, and eating. I think we can all use that, Joel. Okay, let's start as we have all week with the latest in the Middle East. Israel is pummeling Gaza with airstrikes and says that it will continue to cut off Gaza from electricity water, and fuel until the Israeli hostages that are being held by Hamas are returned home. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Tel Aviv. Here's what he had to say. The message that I bring to Israel is this. You may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as America exists, you will never ever have to. We will always be there by your side. 
To that end, he said the U.S. has already sent shipments of military support to Israel. He also said that at least 25 Americans were killed in the Hamas attack, a number that has been rising, and 14 Americans are still missing, which means several may have been taken hostage by Hamas. He also met in Tel Aviv with survivors of the Hamas massacre, who thanked him for being there and said that they just want the hostages to come home. We were saved by miracle, but there are friends that we love that that aren't. Thank you for being here. It's really important. And uh, and if there's any way to help, like first priority, first priority are our friends and family that are now in Gaza. So Moshe, you could really feel the emotion there, that survivor basically breaking down into tears. Yeah, Israelis have been very heartened by the response uh, by President Biden, by the U.S., the amount of support that they're getting. And uh, you hear that there, you know, again, this is a, a tragedy 10-7 for them. Is their 9-11 several times over? We've said this before, but now at the current death toll, it's the equivalent of 30 or 40,000 Americans dying on 9-11 if you take it on a per capita basis. Meanwhile, Israel's government showed Blinken and NATO defense ministers really graphic images of dead Israeli children that were brutally killed by Hamas. Let's warn our listeners again. Here, you could just skip the next 90 seconds. We have some graphic descriptions. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office also releasing on social media a picture of a dead infant in a pool of blood and the charred body of a child. And it came after a lot of people on social media questioned whether Hamas really carried out such atrocities. Mosh, it's something that you had to deal with even on the Mosh Instagram account. Yeah, uh, don't get me started, though you just got me started. Jill, uh, it's just, we live in this era now of everything's a conspiracy theory. And so the debate has gotten pretty gross online. We even received demands saying, have you seen the videos or pictures of the atrocities that have been described, the, the rape, the murder, uh, the, the beheading? And especially with all the headlines this week that the terrorists had done that and Hamas denying that they took women and children, denying that they killed any babies when, in fact, they did. um, It did lead to a certain group of people who were questioning out of it. The Israelis initially, out of respect for the families, didn't want to have to release any of these photos or videos. But as the questions mounted over the course of the past 48 hours to try to tamp down these denials, they released photos, though, Jill, as we know, despite evidence to the contrary. I mean, you can go back to the Holocaust. There are always people who are going to deny certain things or question certain things. uh, And this appears to not be immune from that. At the end of the day, it's murder of women, murder of children, nuancing the method of murder and what happened to their bodies just feels beyond the pale. But this is where we're at, unfortunately, um, especially on social media. And something that has been pointed out uh, as well by some U.S. officials, it was the gleeful murder. Of, of children yes. and women that made this that much more atrocious. Sadistic, horrific, name your adjective. As for the situation on the ground in Gaza now, several days in to the Israeli counter assault, Jill, as you mentioned yesterday, the humanitarian crisis is getting worse there in that territory, about seven mile by 25 mile piece of territory, just about 2 million plus civilians. A British Palestinian surgeon told CNN that children make up between 30 and 40% of the wounded 
in the recent airstrikes, we should note that 50% of the population um, in Gaza is under the age of 18. The surgeon telling CNN children and other patients come in with wounds from the blast, the shrapnel, masonry that flies during bombings, during the counter-assault. This all comes as Hamas has told residents to stay put on uh, Al-Aqsa TV. That's the PBS, if you will, of uh, Gaza. Israel continues to drop leaflets and is trying to get to Palestinians to tell them to evacuate certain neighborhoods because they're trying to target Hamas terrorists in those neighborhoods or Hamas weapons depots. Israel actually went to the lengths Thursday to hack into Palestinian Al-Aqsa TV to tell residents, and I posted a clip on our Instagram account, to heed the warnings uh, saying that Hamas is running away and saving themselves, and you should too. Very cynical, very horrific here, but the Hamas terrorist group that runs Gaza um, stands to benefit in a couple ways from civilian casualties. First, they can use civilians as human shields for their weaponry. Secondarily, uh, as the death toll mounts, again, sadistic and sick here, they know they gain international sympathy uh, and might be able to incentivize Hezbollah and other groups to join the war and uh, increase pressure on Israel to end the war as the civilian death toll increases. As far as Gaza right now, more than 300,000 of the residents, so we're approaching about 15% of the population has evacuated their homes, mainly going to UN schools. There's just about 80 of them in the territory. That's where uh, they are staying safe. To give you a sense of Gaza in U.S. terms, it's about the size of the city of Philadelphia in terms of size. And as Israel targets it, there are certain areas they know where Hamas lives. Uh, and of course, they're getting real-time intelligence to try to target their weapons depots, missiles, and of course, search for the hostages, the more than 150 hostages that Hamas took. But at the same time, what that means for the poor Palestinian residents is, uh, is horrific. It has completely overwhelmed the health system there. The territory's only power plant ran out of fuel on Wednesday, leaving only generators right now. Uh, Israeli warplanes pummeling the neighborhoods in search of the culprits. Uh, and really, I mean, their mission right now is to eliminate Hamas. Uh, unfortunately, in Gaza, Hamas has not spent any time in the past 16 years building shelters uh, for the populace building reinforced power plants, water facilities with the billions of dollars in aid. And so that has left uh, these residents in these terrific conditions. As far as Hamas, how they spend their money, how they make their money, how they tax Palestinian civilians uh, and what they do with all of it. It's something I discussed on a uh, new podcast that was out yesterday called Money Rehab with Nicole Lappin. And we talk about the money, uh, the terror trail, the terror money in that episode. Again, that's the Money Rehab podcast. Check it out after you finish today's pod. Moshe, I think it's a great point that you make because a lot of people describe Gaza as an open air prison. Um, but then the question is, well, how do they get the missiles in? You know, they, the, Hamas seems to be able to get in the, the weapons that they need. The open air prison has a pretty corrupt warden in Hamas. Now, that's not to absolve the Israelis and the Egyptians, for that matter, on the border with, you know, are they doing enough uh, to be able to help? At the same time, billions in aid has come in. Hamas has been in charge for 16 years. And this is a discussion we're having thoroughly over on the Mo News uh, Premium Instagram account, where we've been talking about, like, well, how much blame do you give Kim Jong-un for the predicament of North Korea or Vladimir Putin for the predicament of Russia or the Ayatollahs for the predicament of Iran or the Cuban regime uh, for the predicament of Cuba vis-a-vis -vis the world? Certainly a lot of blame to go around. At the same time, though, Hamas been in charge. They've gotten billions in aid, but they use a lot of that aid for their own military purposes. And we actually posted some video uh, yesterday that uh, $100 million that was spent by the EU to build new water pipes for a better water system for Gaza, 
Hamas dug those pipes up, sold them for parts, uh, and also used some of them to build rockets. So it's important to get the full holistic 360 view of all of this as we discuss all this. And now to the politics of this and Iran, the United States and Qatar have reached a, quote, quiet understanding not to let Iran access any of that $6 billion in funding that was transferred to Qatari accounts last month. If you remember, it was part of that deal to free five Americans that were detained in Iran. And it comes, of course, after Hamas's bloody attack on Israel on Saturday. So the deputy treasury secretary telling lawmakers the money will not be touched anytime soon. But the bigger question is, did Iran have anything to do with these attacks? Biden administration officials have said there is no direct evidence of Iran having a direct link to the attack. Iran has historically supported Hamas and funds the terrorist organization. There has been some mixed reporting on the issue. The Wall Street Journal has sources that say Iran did help plot the attack on Israel over several weeks. They say that, in fact, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard gave the final go-ahead last Monday in Beirut. But then other outlets like the New York Times and NBC News, they are quoting U.S. officials who say there is very good evidence that Iranian leaders were totally surprised by Hamas's attack on Israel, which prompted U.S. officials to question whether officials in Tehran actually maybe didn't have a role in approving or planning that assault. Yeah, Joe, there seem to be a few schools of thought here. One, that Iran was totally involved in this, that they coordinated this, that one of the reasons they've been given Hamas all these weapons is not for no reason at all, but to pursue their means, uh, pursue their objective against Israel. And then there's a school of thought that while Iran has funded and given weapons to Hamas, that they weren't directly involved in this. Uh, there have been a couple of interviews by Hamas officials, uh, including one with Russian TV, a couple days ago, we posted a bit about it on our Instagram account, where the Hamas officials said they kept this very secret from everybody, even within Hamas, um, in order to uh, maintain this level of operational security. Um, it came to the point, Jill, where the Israelis were saying that they picked up some movement on Friday night, but didn't think they had enough intelligence to even deploy reinforcements to the IDF on Friday night ahead of the terror attack. They thought they were just doing an exercise within Gaza. They would find out a couple hours later that it was a full-on attack. So Hamas was able to maintain secrecy here uh, at a pretty amazing level. Uh, there are apparently even Hamas leaders in Qatar, where there's you know a whole bunch of them, including the boss, uh, who were apparently unaware of this. And so there's a lot of murky reporting here. Again, we're talking about terrorist groups, Iran, no real source here that you typically trust when it comes to this sort of thing. And on top of that, when you tend to have these very successful terrorist attacks, and I've successful in quotes. This is by the perspective of the terrorists. A lot of people want to take credit for it, but a lot of people don't want to have to deal with ramifications of it. So it's a tricky dance here. And I, I think, you know, we'll eventually come to some sort of resolution. But the, the closer you pin this to Iran, the more implications that brings for what do the US and Israel have to do to Iran, and that risks a regional war. So there might be some underemphasis of Iran from certain parts because they don't want to have to go to war with Iran here. Uh, as far as planners, one name that comes up a lot is the man known as The Guest. His name is Mohammed Deef. He's the Hamas leader in Gaza. He has been running uh, Hamas in Gaza for a number of years. The chairman, Ismail Haniya, is over in Qatar. I'll mention him in a second. Uh, Deef is known as The Guest because he never sleeps in the same place twice. He's constantly moving around uh, between homes because he's survived five Israeli assassination attempts. They're still looking for him now. In the past couple of days, they've killed several members of his family. 
as they've been trying to target him. Apparently, he has one functional eye. He's in a wheelchair, and he continues, at least at, as of this recording, to evade Israeli authorities. The other leader I mentioned, Ismail Haniya, he is the more public face. He's typically wearing a suit, lives in Qatar, the five-star lifestyle there, will interface with Iran uh, and uh, be a spokesperson on television. For the Hamas group, he's also known to have embezzled lots of money, a lot of these people accused of lots of corruption. Hania, by the way, lots of similar reviews to other terror groups. In fact, when uh, the U.S. killed bin Laden in 2012, he condemned that and praised Osama bin Laden. Meanwhile, what happens in the Middle East does not stay in the Middle East. The former Hamas leader Khalid Mashal called for Friday today to be a global day of anger in support of the recent Hamas attack on Israel. He said demonstrations would send a, quote, message of rage to Zionists and to America. It isn't exactly clear what that means, but law enforcement agencies across the U.S. are stepping up security measures. The New York Police Department ordered the entire force to be in uniform and on patrol and says that they will have additional security at large gatherings, cultural sites and houses of worship. Yeah, pretty rare thing for NYP to do that. They have done that in recent years with COVID um, when you had some of the uh, looting um, and rioting and the aftermath of the BLM protests in 2020. So they're stepping things up. You know, keep in mind the largest population of Jews in one place outside of Israel is New York City. Uh, Historically, these calls for a day of rage have produced large demonstrations and unrest in Gaza and the West Bank but have not really led to large-scale attacks in the U.S. or anywhere else in the world. These are pretty common coming from Khaled Michel. He likes to put out lots of videos. He's the former leader of Hamas. He hasn't been the leader for 11 years. He put out a YouTube video saying, Day of Rage, join the cause. It was especially focused on the Arabs in the region, saying, show up on the Israeli border and join the fight against Israel. You guys in Jordan, you guys in Lebanon, you guys in Syria. But he did have this sort of vague uh, thing saying, you know, Muslims around the world, please listen to us. Similar to all those videos we saw through the years, and you probably, many of our listeners probably ignored them or weren't even aware they were coming out because they fell on deaf ears from Al-Qaeda, from ISIS saying, join the fight, global day of jihad, join the fight. Well, the vast majority of Muslims are peace-loving people who don't listen to Al-Qaeda, ISIS, or Hamas for that matter. The issue you face here is is that ultimately we live in a lone wolf culture. And by that, I mean many of these terror attacks, it takes one person inspired by these words to do something bad. And that is why you have this sort of extra level of caution. Jill, we were talking about this a bit before the podcast. Uh, Talk to me about how this is impacting the Jewish community in Long Island. It is having, Moshe, a huge impact, at least amongst the people that I've been talking to. I I can tell you personally, I'm scared, really, for me and for my kids. This is all that any of my Jewish friends, at least, could talk about. There are Jewish preschools that are simply staying closed today. I I mean, think about that. They feel, even with all of their security, they feel like it is not worth it to to take the risk of opening. Uh, Even parents who send their kids to public school that I've spoken to are considering keeping their kids home. I actually spoke to one person who said that she and some of her friends are considering taking their mezuzahs down. The mezuzah, um, if you don't know, it's a scroll affixed to the doorpost of a Jewish home. Well, what does that mean? It means that they are literally scared that people are going to be coming door to door to see who is Jewish. And then who knows what they would do. Uh, So you might listen to that and you think it's an overreaction, but I think it speaks to this very real unease, anxiety, and feeling that Jews are just not safe right now. 
wherever they live. Moshe, I'm curious what you're hearing from the Mo News community. I've heard from a lot of people. That's why we put out a video on uh, Wednesday evening with the latest. Again, there's no specific threat here. This is a general call for rage. Define it how you will. Uh, but people have certainly been seeing things on you know college campuses where people have been praising. You know, again, these are small groups, but it's been in a number of locations where people are praising Hamas, praising the attack. Uh, there was that protest in Times Square where someone held up a swastika, and so you know certainly. People are concerned about that. You know, I was getting questions about, you know, should I attend a concert in New York? Should I go to school? Should I take a flight to Mexico? Is it safe to fly to Chicago? Uh, and I think generally people, without any specific threat, uh, you know, live your life how you normally do with a sort of extra, you know, vigilance. But, you know, I'm not here to tell anyone not to feel what they feel. I certainly get it. But in talking to NYPD officials and national security officials, there's nothing specific but there is a heightened state of awareness, especially just given how tense things have gotten. All right, we have a lot more to get to in today's pod, including today's speed read. But first, a quick break for uh, one of our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've been really pumped to get them on board here, given how much we talk about the importance of mental health on this podcast. And given some of the news that we're telling you about, it's always important to take care of yourself and your mental health. Getting over that threshold to talk to a therapist can be tough for some. I know it was for me when I first saw a therapist several years ago, but talking to someone does help, can help, help you get through those major blocks, get clarity on things happening in your life, how to process them. And so we're very glad to have BetterHelp aboard here as a sponsor at Mo News. And right now they have a deal for the Mo News community. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp, one word, a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a therapist. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. You can right now go to betterhelp.com slash Moshe, M-O-S-H, to get 10% off your first month. Again, that is betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash M-O-S-H. All right, time now for the speed read from the L.A. Times. Talks between Actors Union SAG-AFTRA and the Hollywood Studios broke down Wednesday with the entertainment companies saying negotiations on a new contract have been suspended. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which represents the studios in labor dealings, says, quote, after meaningful conversations, it is clear that the gap between the studios and Actors Union is too great and conversations are no longer moving us in a productive direction. SAG-AFTRA represents 160,000 performers and accuses the Studio Alliance of using, quote, bullying tactics. We're a few months into this one now, and it does come as the writers made their deal, but the actors don't have a deal. Uh, They're saying to the studios, show us the money, show us the streaming revenue, and that appears to have been the main issue, the main snag here between the two sides. The actors want more of the streaming revenue. The studios are unwilling to give that up. Now, interestingly, Jill, when we're talking about the studios, we're talking about uh, Warner Bros. Discovery. We're talking about Fox. But we're also talking about like Netflix and Amazon and Apple. Uh, I was listening to an interesting conversation Barry Diller had on Kara Swisher's podcast. And he was saying that they need to split off because Netflix and Apple have a different model than the traditional studios. The studios really need to make a deal here with the actors. And the streamers uh, don't. They have a lot of money coming in, uh, regardless of whether there's a compromise here. So it'll be interesting to see here how they come to this and whether the alliance, the studio alliance, stays allied the longer this goes on, or some studios get desperate to make a deal directly with the actors. 
Sticking with strikes from CNBC, Ford saying that it is, quote, at the limit of what it can offer the United Auto Workers Union in terms of economic concessions. That news came Thursday as contract negotiations continue for roughly 57,000 U.S. auto workers. The president of Ford's traditional operations saying that while the company is willing to shuffle money around within the existing offer to meet the union's priorities, any added costs would hurt the automaker's ability to operate in the future and invest in emerging areas like electric vehicles. They declined to discuss how much the company's current offer to the union would cost the company, but it came a day after the union unexpectedly launched a strike at the automaker's highly profitable SUV and pickup truck plant in Kentucky. UAW President Sean Fain said Wednesday night that the strike escalation was a result of the company repeating its previous offer instead of offering additional economic benefits. The escalation of the strike does come nearly four weeks after the union first began its walkouts against Ford, as well as GM and the uh, maker of Jeep and Chrysler, Stellantis. That was back on September 15th with one assembly plant from each company. The union then added 38 parts warehouses and then several assembly plants. It now involves just under 34,000 workers. Uh, The union here being strategic, they haven't put all 146,000 workers on strike, just about a third of them right now, but it continues to potentially escalate here. Ford's most recent proposal includes a 23 to 26% wage increase, depending on your classification, platinum healthcare benefits, ratification bonuses, a reinstatement of cost of living, a, a bunch of other benefits. Ford says that it's reached the end of the line here and can't make any offer beyond that without really eating into their ability for electric car development and growth here. Electric vehicle battery plants, by the way, have been one of the major points of contention here for the union in their bargaining with GM, Ford, and Stellantis. Right now, all of those three companies have formed joint ventures to manufacture EV batteries. And because they're owned by joint ventures, there's a technicality here that the agreement they make will not be covered for the electric part of the um, companies. And so the UAW here is fighting, saying, listen, you can't carve out exceptions for the EV production. We need this deal to apply to everything. GM apparently has already conceded on that. But so far, Ford and Stellantis have not. From CBS News, remember that Russian journalist who went on air on the state channel to protest Putin's invasion of Ukraine and ended up escaping to France? Well, it appears that she reportedly has been poisoned Paris prosecutors have opened an investigation into the suspected poisoning of the Russian journalist Marina Avsi-Anikova, who made headlines last year when she brandished an anti-Ukraine war slogan on state television. She reportedly told police that she felt unwell when she opened the door to her Paris apartment Thursday and noticed a powder substance. Forensic police were sent to examine her home. She was feeling better by the afternoon, but was still under medical supervision. Yes, you might remember these pictures back from March of 2022 when she appeared behind a Russian news anchor. This video went viral. She was brandishing a placard about the Ukraine war that bared the words, stop the war, don't believe the propaganda, they are lying to you here. She was a producer for state television. Um, That made her beyond persona non grata. She was under house arrest. Then the 44-year-old journalist and her 12-year-old daughter were able to flee to France. Just last week, back in Russia, She was sentenced in absentia of eight and a half years in prison for protesting the war, but uh, continues to live in France. Of course, being poisoned, if it's proven here, 
is par for the course for many Russian dissidents, uh, some who've survived, some who have not through the years. Uh, it's something that suddenly happens to people, Jill, when they become uh, too critical or upset the Russian government. Suddenly, they find themselves being poisoned wherever they are in the world. I mean, Mosh, I thought I was a grudge holder. I'm this. <laughs> I've got nothing on Putin. <laughs> yeah. And some people thought the whole thing. I remember when I posted the video and people are like, well, why isn't she in jail? Why isn't she dead? And I'm like, Putin will get around to it if she upset him. And look, she somehow escaped to France. But look, she might have been poisoned here. It looks like, thankfully, she's doing OK. But, you know, it tends to be in some of these cases, Russia, you know, you you think you're, you know, you got away with it or by got away with it. I mean, that you were critical and you spoke out. Uh, but it will eventually Russia, despite this invasion of Ukraine, despite it all, you know, it's, it seems like Putin keeps his burn book. Okay, from Axios, the Jetsons era of personal flight is getting closer. Personal flying machines are almost here, and anyone with the money and just a few hours of training will be able to fly one. It's actually much easier than getting a pilot's license with new technologies, some borrowed from electric cars and video games. It'll soon be easier, safer, and comparatively affordable for novices to take flight in their own aircraft. Behold the Jetson One. It is a jet ski in the sky, as the CEO describes it. It costs about 98000 bucks, which sounds like a lot. It is a lot, but it is the same price as a high-end Mercedes, for example. And without the traffic, Jill. <laughs> it is one of several ultra-light personal flying machines coming to market in the next year or so. There is a $190,000 Helix from Pivotal that was a company formerly known as Opener, and also the Hexa from Lyft Aircraft. The planes are envisioned for personal recreation, short hop travel, or experiential entertainment excursions. The Jetson 1 made its inaugural U.S. flight last week at a summit in Dallas. It was an invitation-only gathering of entrepreneurs and investors focused on the future of transportation Mosh, I guess our invitations got lost in the mail. Totally. Where, where was our invite? <laughs> I want to fly in a Jetson 1. The company says it has 300 orders and it plans to start deliveries in 2024. So I was trying to figure out a way to describe this. It's definitely worth Googling Jetson 1 and getting a look yourself. In some ways, it sort of looks like a kayak with propellers or a Formula 1 race car with eight propellers. It takes off vertically and then tilts forward with its propellers, flying at a speed of 60 miles per hour, altitude up to 1,500 feet. It's powered by eight electric motors, eight battery packs, about the same battery power as a Tesla. It's only good for 20 minutes of flying time. So again, when you talk about quick hop travel, uh, it better be pretty close if you want to make it home and back. The aircraft weighs in at 200 pounds. So I guess if you get in it, <laughs> so almost weighs as much as, as some people. But at 200 pounds, it's considered ultra light, which has relatively few regulations under the FAA. Users, by the way, if it's an ultra light aircraft, not required to have a pilot certificate, which takes a while and money and time to get. Learning to fly a Jetson 1, Jill, reportedly takes five hours of training. They train you for five hours, and then you can fly at 1,500 feet at 60 miles per hour in your community. Again, as you mentioned, uh, game-like controls. They have a joystick controller that allows you to accelerate and steer. Jill, I don't know about this. I don't know how I feel about people in my neighborhood having Jetson 1s. I'm just picturing hanging out of my backyard, <laughs> <laughs> enjoying a quiet afternoon. 
and and then yeah. just like seeing some random person fly over my backyard in a um Jetson one. I feel like very quickly the FAA, while they don't regulate this, they're going to have to regulate this. It sort of reminds me of the unregulated submarine, submersible that went on the Titanic. You know, anybody can build their own thing, apparently, uh, without regulations. Now, let's hope the Jetson 1 is meeting the right standards. And if you buy one and train on one, that you better know what you're doing. But I would just say, as these things start to become more popular, if they do, when you're sitting out in your backyard, Jill, heads up, make sure you're looking up. All right, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Mosh, what are you watching? So I hate to say it, I'm watching a lot of cable news this week, and I hope to be able to take a break this weekend. I am hearing great things about the Beckham documentary over on Netflix. My husband watched it. He said it is great. I, too, have been glued to cable news and also hope <laughs> to take a break. Jill, I think it's important for both of us to take a break. Let's check on each other this weekend. Uh, when you take that break, what are you watching? So I'm going to be just binging Housewives. I just need Which one? any and all. Really? You're open to all the Housewives, all the series. So I never watched Miami, which I have heard is amazing. And I finally got Peacock, where I think the Miami Housewives exists. So I'm going to hopefully start the Miami Housewives. But if not, I still need to catch up on the latest episode of The New Roni and also the latest episode of Salt Lake City. But I just need kind of this mind-numbing drama, but like fun drama that I'm not involved in type of show. Mm. Uh, and that is Housewives. Mm. Anything Bravo, really. Bravo, Jill. Bravo. Make sure to take a break. All right, Mosh, what are you reading? Well, I'll tell you right now, it's not a break from the news, but I, I, I've always been a nonfiction news type person for most of my reading. Uh, there's an interesting piece in The Atlantic that I want to get into by a guy named George Packer, who uh, is an incredible journalist and author who's written the uh, histories of the war in Iraq, etc. And he has a piece out saying, Israel must not react stupidly. And he makes the comparison between 9-11 and 10-7, you know, Israel's 9-11, October 7th, and that Israel needs to be strategic and not vengeful in its response. And he goes to the lessons of how the U.S. reacted to 9-11 and lessons for Israel in this case, uh, at least based on the first couple of paragraphs I have read. So I'm looking forward to getting into that this weekend. Jill, please tell me you're not reading anything as serious as I am. <laughs> no, Mosh. Frogs, they're just like us. Okay, this is actually an article from the New York Post. Female frogs fake their deaths to avoid having sex, according to a new study. Um, it's, it was published <laughs> Wednesday in the journal Royal Society Open Science, and it actually used video footage to observe the mating behaviors of common frogs when one male and two females were placed in a box. And of the 54 females that were, quote, clasped in an embrace, 33% played dead. <laughs> <laughs> or in scientific terms, experienced what they would call tonic immobility, which is the stiffening of outstretched limbs and the in inability to respond to stimuli. So uh, playing dead for frogs is the new, I have a headache. Let's try tomorrow. Exactly. I, I need some time. Do you have any time at all? <laughs> all right, Jill, let's close it out. What are we eating this weekend? Okay, Mosh. So in what's been a very rough week, my daughter turned five and I'm still eating leftover birthday cake. Um, so happy birthday to her. And I'm drinking tea. I, I know you're expecting me to say some alcoholic beverage. I don't know if you could hear it in my voice. It's not great. I do. I think I'm okay. on the verge of getting sick. I need to put my phone down. Oh, no. Social media down. Yeah, I just haven't been able to sleep. Um, actually since Saturday. So 
I, I just need a good night's sleep. Jill will not speak for the rest of the podcast. We're going to give her mm-hmm. voice a break. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do with my daughter. We're going to play the quiet game. And then she'll be like, pause the quiet game. To, what, what about coughing? Or, you know, she, she looks for exceptions. So Mosh, what are you eating? So Alex made homemade chia seed pudding. Uh, we included tenderly rooted walnuts, who their partner of ours over on Instagram, delicious. Uh, she caramelized bananas. I'm probably not doing this justice, but it's banana, walnut, chia seed pudding. It's great. Uh, and actually freezes really well because uh, she'll make a whole batch, freeze it, and then we'll thaw it, and it still tastes great. So that's what I got going this weekend, Joe. All right, Mosh and everyone else, a big thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store. Yes, those reviews make a difference. If you listen to us on on Apple and Spotify especially, uh, they help ensure that we continue to expand our reach there. So if you like what we're doing on the podcast, leave us a review. And if you like what we're doing, it's probably going to be a five-star review, right? So uh, (laughs) appreciate all of you there. Appreciate all of you who've joined Mo News Premium. It's a way to support what we're doing here in Mo News, 24-7 coverage on Instagram, the daily podcast, the daily newsletter. Uh, with a Mo News Premium membership, uh, you get access to our members-only Instagram feed where we do a lot of Q&A, behind-the-scenes content, issue deep dives. This week, it's just been answering your questions on the Middle East, uh, as well as a members-only podcast with a lot more coming there starting next week. Jill, rest your voice. Come back strong on Monday. And don't watch too much cable news. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.